Loving God and our neighbor as ourselves does not include clauses such as only if God doesn't ask too much or as long as my neighbor isn't a Samaritan. Through our commitment to love, support, and forgive, may we discover a version of ourselves full of hope and potential. I invite you to join us in our study today and encourage each of us to request divine understanding that the Spirit may teach us individually and specifically. Welcome to Come Follow Up. I show my love for God right now by teaching my kids about the gospel and that they are loved children of God. Every night I pray to Heavenly Father that my children will, will know that. I show God that I love Him by loving one another, by helping out and making sure that everyone feels loved. I think one of the great commandments is to love one another because that's really what's most important to our Father in Heaven. He loves us so very much, and He expects, expects us to give it our best effort to love those around us. One of the great commandments to love others is so that we have the opportunity to show unconditional love like Christ did. And without that commandment, I don't think we would take the opportunity to show unconditional love as often as we need to. We need each other. We came here to Earth to help each other and to learn from each other. And the best way we can do that is to begin by loving each other. Welcome, everybody. My name is Ben Lomu, and I'm your host. Our gospel scholar for today is Jasmine Jimenez Rapley. Jasmine has a degree from BYU in Ancient Near Eastern Studies. She is currently a project manager at Book of Mormon Central, where she helps to create videos and develop their mobile app, Scripture Plus. Welcome, Jasmine. Thanks. Happy to be here. And seated next to Jasmine is our special guest, Mike Fear. Mike has a master's degree in religious education from BYU and is the host of the Faith Coach podcast. He and his wife, Davina, live in Clover, South Carolina. Mike, thanks for being here. Thanks, Ben. Very glad to be here. And we're also joined by our studio audience. Thank you all for joining us today. And to each of you at home, we are so happy to have you joining us for today's discussion. Please follow along and share your thoughts with us on any of our social media platforms. Today, we've selected two topics to discuss that relate to passages found in Matthew chapter 18 and Luke chapter 10. These topics and discussions support and build upon the Come Follow Me resource developed and published by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The two topics we're going to discuss are first, to obtain eternal life, I must love God and love my neighbor as myself. And second, I can show love through forgiveness. After exploring these two topics with our panel and studio audience, we'll let our studio audience go and dive deeper into the scriptures with Jasmine and Mike in footnotes. Okay, so Jasmine, as we jump into this first topic, to obtain eternal life, I must love God and my neighbor as myself. What can you provide as far as historical context within these two chapters and how does this topic relate? All right, so we're in Luke 10. Jesus and his disciples are beginning their journey towards Jerusalem, towards the finale. Um, but right before this, in Luke chapter 9, he fed the 5,000. He was transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration. And so there's a lot of things happening in Jesus's ministry. Um, but that's where we are in the scriptures. Now, Historically and contextually, that's another story too, as we're talking about the parable of the Good Samaritan. Um, we've got 
uh, to know who the Samaritans are in this time and period, you've got a lot of tensions between the Israelites or the Judeans at this time and the Samaritans. People would go out of their way to avoid interacting with Samaritans because there's a long history, centuries long history. The Judeans in the South don't necessarily see them as pure Israelites. So there's a little racial ethnic tension going mm -hmm. there, but there's also religious tension. The Judeans down in Judah, they built the temple in Jerusalem and they believe that that is the true pure place where we are supposed to worship. But the Samaritans, they built their own temple on Mount Gerizim. And so for them, not only is there some ethnic tension between them, but they also see them as a little heretical, a little apostate because they're worshiping at the not correct location of the Jerusalem temple. So uh, thank you for that explanation. Um, Mike, as we jump into uh, this first um, topic of loving our neighbor as ourselves, Jasmine brought up the parable of the Good Samaritan. Where is the jumping off point to the Savior teaching this parable? And why is it important for us to understand that background that she just gave? When Jesus is talking to groups, he often was asked questions. And one of the lawyers asked him uh, and says, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, as he is very accustomed to doing, is he asked the man the question so back. he answers with the question. Yes, okay. <laughs> he answers with the question. He says, how do you read in the scriptures? And these two things, loving God and loving your neighbor, were in the Old Testament. And so this is actually the lawyer's answer to Jesus. And so when Jesus uh, hears that answer, he says, uh, what does Jesus say here? This is in verse 28 of Luke 10. He said unto him, thou hast answered right, this do, and thou shalt live. So the Savior basically says, correct. <laughs> that is what you need to do. Love God and love your neighbor. But this man is said, well, then who is my neighbor? And that's where the Good Samaritan comes in. Jesus gives him an example of what that means. Jasmine, do you want to kind of walk us through in Luke chapter 10, this parable of the Good Samaritan? Yeah. So... As Mike introduced, it's through a question on what we're supposed to do to gain eternal life, love God, love our neighbor. And then he jumps into this parable where he says, a certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And this man goes down and he is uh, robbed by thieves and they strip his clothing, they beat him up, they leave him for dead. And then in verse 31, a priest passes by and he sees him there, but doesn't stop and moves on. Then in verse 32, a Levite passes by doesn't stop, moves on. And then finally, a Samaritan comes by and he goes above and beyond by stopping, tending to him, binding up his wounds, pouring oil and water. This is in verse 34. And then he took him to an inn to be taken care of and he paid for the price of the inn as well. And then the parable ends and Jesus basically says, go and do likewise. And, and he asked the question, okay, of these three, which one is neighbor to the, uh, to the one that was hurt? And his response was, well, it's the Samaritan, you know, the one who, who helped him. And then he tells him, look, go off and, and do the same thing he did. What is the significance of the Savior mentioning that in this parable, a priest and a Levite pass by this Samaritan? Why should this strike a chord with this lawyer? We have the exact opposite of what you ex would expect. You've got the religious leader, a priest, who is supposed to be the most ritually pure, the most religiously pure. And he sees the wounded man and he just walks on by. And then a Levite comes by and Levites also served in priestly functions in the temple. So you've got two people who work in the temple and they didn't think they should have stopped. And yet it's the Samaritan, the one who was on the religious outside and the ethnic outside, the everything outside, who decided that 
the most important thing to do right now is to help this person. Mike, how do we get to that point in our lives where we can learn to see past some of those uh, preconceived notions of others and really strive to love them as we are taught by the Savior? It seems like Jesus spent a lot of his ministry teaching stories about the marginalized people being the heroes. Because Isaiah has a prophecy that says he is despised and rejected of men talking about the Savior. Mm -hmm. And so really Jesus, I think, is setting it up that he's saying, I want you to be like me. I really want you to try to love the way that I love. And so, at least for me in my life, the more I have come to know God and love him, the more natural it is for me to reach out with love to those that are around me. So I think there's a real connection mm -hmm. between our ability to love our neighbors and our understanding of and our relationship with God. Oh, thanks, Mike. I would love to hear responses from the audience. How have you been blessed as you have tried to show love towards those that are different from you? Emily. I've had an opportunity in my life when I was running down the street one day on a run and music playing in my ear. I heard a really loud voice tell me to go in and ask this facility next to me if I could play the piano. I turned and it was a care center and I just ignored it and I was like, oh, I'll go tomorrow. So I decided to start running again and that voice came again. And so I decided to follow it. I went in a fast, I could play the piano. So I went and sat on the piano bench and started playing and then walked this sweet gentleman. And it turned out that that sweet gentleman was 99 years old and he was blind and he's going through a really hard time in his life. Well, him and I became best friends and we would start playing music together. That experience allowed a lot of other people that I would never have come across in my life or even connected with. And they would share stories with us. They would share hardships in their life that they had gone through. But every single one of them, I learned that God showed them unconditional love. So why can't I show them? Emily, what's the role of, of the Holy Ghost for you in helping you see others as Christ sees them so that you can love them as yourself? Honestly, it's just the simple little things that if I don't wanna be judged, then don't judge them, love them. That's just what Christ does. So why do I not love them? And this is a beautiful message that Christ is trying to teach, uh, you know, all those around him. And it's pretty extreme when you think about, he's not just saying, love your somebody who maybe roots for a different team than, than you. He's being, he's going really to the, to the far ends of the spectrum when it comes to this is really your, those that you were raised to, to despise and maybe even hate. Those are the ones that I'm telling you to reach out and love and they can, offer so much good into the world, despite what maybe you, have, you were raised thinking about. It's true. And, uh, you know, one thing that I've kind of learned over the years is if I'm having a hard time liking someone, if I'm struggling to get along with someone, I probably need to get to know them a little better. Mm -hmm. And I find that almost every time, if I just take some time to learn a little bit more about their story, what they're going through, I can develop a lot more compassion and uh, love for that person. And, you know, that's not to say, we still need to be discerning about characters and positive and negative influences in our lives. But if, if there's someone in my life that I'm trying to, to reach, knowing more about them makes a huge difference. More times than not, they're going through a really hard time too, and they deserve compassion and love, not you know my bitterness or hurt feelings. <laughs> so Mike, what's the connection between these two commandments? In verse 27 of Luke chapter 10, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, and with all thy mind and thy neighbor as thyself. What is the connection between loving God and loving our neighbor? That's a, that's a really great question. I think it's one of the fundamental questions that we have as human beings. 
it is very easy for me sometimes to love people that think I'm pretty great. But I think that God purposefully put us in families, sometimes with being able to see everything about somebody and understand them, and then loving them anyway, <laughs> is something that is sometimes hard to do, especially with people we don't get along with or we don't agree with. And so I think about our heavenly parents, they know everything about us and they choose to love us anyway. And so we, as we come to know God, as we come to appreciate how strong God's love is for us, we then can, it's just natural to have our hearts expand. Joseph Smith actually said, the nearer we get to our heavenly father, the more we are disposed to look with compassion on perishing souls. And I think that's a beautiful thing that the more and closer and more we become like God, it's not a chore to go love somebody. That love just kind of flows out of us. Mm -hmm. Mike, you live on the East Coast. And I, uh, I, I imagine that living there, uh, you are one of a few uh, uh, members of your faith, uh, yes. members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Uh, how have you been able to find harmony and show love towards those around you that worship in a manner that might be different from what you're used to? I've actually found great acceptance from other people out there. We had lived for a time where we had a Muslim family living next door and in an evangelical Christian family living on the other side. And all three of our families became very close because we weren't trying to criticize each other's beliefs. In fact, our, our Muslim neighbors uh, were talking to us about Ramadan and their fasting. And so we talked about Fast Sunday and how we fast. <laughs> and so my wife invited them over to come and break their fast with us. Wow. So we ate at sundown that night out on our deck and it was just a really neat experience. I found that we had much more in common mm -hmm. than we had different. Uh, we had a question that came in from one of our viewers that relates to that and I would love to get your thoughts on it. Hi, my name is Jerry Don McKellar and I'm from Minden, Utah. After reading the story of the Good Samaritan, I am wondering how we truly love our neighbor as Christ did. How do we love those who do not want to be loved? And how do we find a healthy balance with those who require attention constantly? What are your thoughts, Mike? Well, I, th I think Jerry asked a really great question there. It is hard sometimes to find that balance. I, there's a quote from Russell M. Nelson from the Christmas devotional in 2018 that I think really addresses this well. Jesus Christ gave you and me an unlimited capacity to love. That includes the capacity to love the unlovable and those who not only do not love you, but presently persecute and despitefully use you. With the Savior's help, we can learn to love as he loved. It may require a change of heart, most certainly a softening of our hearts, as we are tutored by the Savior how to really take care of each other. My dear brothers and sisters, we can truly minister in the Lord's way as we accept his gift of love. And I, I love that imagery of the Savior as our tutor. Uh, I know that my kids needed some tutoring sometimes. I know that I needed some tutoring in certain classes. I love tutoring because somebody that knows the subject really well is willing to come and take some one-on-one -on -one time with us. And I think about the Savior as a tutor mm -hmm. of how to love. I can imagine him putting his arm around us and saying, I know you're struggling with that person. Can I just give you a little help? Can I tutor you on how to love this person? Can I teach you specifically what they need? 
I know that he wants to do that for us. I felt that in my own life, that tutoring as he stretches me. And, and it has taken, as President Nelson said, a softening of my heart and sometimes a breaking of my heart when it was too hard. But it's something that the Lord wants to get us to where we're loving the way he loves and he doesn't expect us to be there right now. In fact, he offers free tutoring, which I think is beautiful. Jasmine, what are some of your thoughts on transitioning from loving our God to our neighbor to now ourselves? And why is it important for us to understand that we need to love ourselves? Well, loving ourselves is so closely tied to that first commandment. We're supposed to love God with our heart, mind, and soul. And one of the purposes of that is to know how much God loves us. It is so important because how can we truly love and extend that care for others if we're still struggling to feel that for ourselves? And I know it's a struggle for so many people. Mm -hmm. I mean, all of us have our insecurities. All of us have our own um, mental health struggles or emotional struggles. But in the end, we can amplify the way that we can love others and we can amplify the way that we love God when we establish a strong, positive, loving relationship with ourselves because we're children of God. Mike, thoughts? I think that God loves and knows us so totally and completely. And one of the things that I love about Ether 1227, it's this scripture from the Book of Mormon that we always talk about, weak things becoming strong. Yeah. But the very first words of that say, if you will come to me, I will show you your weakness. And then he says, I give unto men and women weakness. So it's not something that's a surprise to God that we have weakness, that we have humanity. And that human condition sometimes is very self-critical. I think I grew up thinking God was kind of mad at me when I messed up because I'd get mad at myself. Mm -hmm. I'd see other people get mad at me, my parents or whatever else. And I think one of the things that is so powerful is that when we see that actually God loves us totally and completely, it's not a flaw in me, but it's actually a feature of the plan of salvation. It, it's changed everything for me, and I've seen it change that for a lot of other people. Thank you both so much for your, your comments and insights on our first topic about uh, learning to, to love God and our neighbors as ourselves. And for the audience, thanks for you sharing your comments with us as well. And for you at home, how do you show your love for God and for those around you? Share with us on Facebook and Instagram. I think it's important to forgive because we all make mistakes. And if no one were for, to forgive each other, then we would just have more of this dark world and everyone would be down on each other. Forgiveness is so important to me in my life because it really gives me another chance, a chance to improve, a chance to better myself, and a chance to use the atonement of Jesus Christ in my life each and every day. Our heavenly parents are the most forgiving beings in the universe. Jesus is the most forgiving being in the universe. They love us and God's willingness to forgive is something that we can be tutored by them to learn how to do so that we can become like them. During a really intense health trial, I would think God didn't love me. This is why I've had to go through this. But I've learned that the forgiveness he showed me even when I was upset with him is something so powerful that we can remember that we're not alone in our trials, that we are here, that we can forgive no matter what we go through. The second topic we're gonna to discuss today is I can show love through forgiveness. So Jasmine, as we jump back into these scriptures, where in these chapters do we find our second topic about showing love through forgiveness? 
We find this in Matthew 18. This is the parable of the unforgiving servant. And we learn about how we need to forgive everyone because Jesus has forgiven us um, far more than we could ever forgive anyone in our own lives. Peter comes up and says, how often should I forgive? And that's where we find ourselves for the parable of the unforgiving servant. Okay, Mike, do you want to take over from there and, and answer this question? How, what is the response? How often should we forgive somebody? Well, I think Jesus is pretty clear that it's always. He says, <laughs> Peter says seven times, Jesus says 70 times seven. The word seven is well, interesting because that's Just there. do the math. You yeah, know? it's just you know, 490 times. times. Yeah. Just start checking it off. Keep a tally. Keep a tally. <laughs> But the whole idea of seven, seven times was doing something seven times is perfect. Like we learned from Naaman, mm -hmm. dipping seven times in the Jordan River and God creates the earth in seven days. And there's all of these sevens. And so Peter's like perfectly. And Jesus is like, no, 70 times seven. As an emphasis on there's really no limit, Peter, to how much we forgive. So Peter probably thought that he was doing pretty good because he was going for the whole complete full number, number yes. seven. And Jesus says, that's great, but you also need quantity as well as quality. You need to forgive infinite amount of times as well as completely and fully. So how do we cope with our feelings getting hurt and the Savior teaching that we have to forgive seemingly no matter what the circumstance? Trying to learn how to forgive is a blessing to ourselves as much as it is a blessing to the person who we feel has wronged us since forgiveness um, allows us to grow and to mm -hmm. learn and to move on. It's a healing thing for us. And so while forgiveness might be challenging at times, because sometimes people do really horrible things to us, or at least that's how it feels from our perspective. Um, but when it comes to really big things to forgive, the Savior's atonement is really the big enabling power that can help us move on. So before we get into talking specifically about this parable, I would love to hear from the audience on how you have been blessed in your efforts to forgive. Zoe. I think by just even having the sense of forgiveness, giving forgiven, it gives you a wholesome feeling knowing that you're able to forgive and feel good about it. You don't want to be holding grudges. It gives you anger or anything like that. Just forgiving, even if they can't forgive you, you can always forgive them. And from there, you can move on to loving them. Zoe, what do you do when you find it difficult to forgive somebody for offending you or, or saying something um, that doesn't quite sit right with you? So that happens often for me a lot, but I feel like I just take a breather. I think, you know, Jesus Christ or Heavenly Father, they would forgive because I am a child of God and I know that if I can be forgiven, that so can others. What a, what a great example of, of turning to the Savior and following His example of forgiveness. And that really leads us into this parable Jasmine, do you mind walking us through this and so we can learn what the Savior is trying to teach about forgiveness? Let's do it. We're in Matthew 18 and we're starting in verse 23, where Jesus says, Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened to a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And he began to reckon one was brought unto him, which owed him 10,000 talents. This ends up being a lot of money. So one denarius is one day's wage for a day laborer. And there are 6,000 denarii in a talent. And these are 10,000 talents. Wow. So we're talking about 60 million days of work, you know, years and years and years of labor. It's supposed to just represent 
a massive number, an unpayable debt. So let's move on to verse 25. For as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made. So he's coming to account for this debt. And when the servant realizes this, he falls down before the king, worships him and says, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. And, you know, this pretty bold statement because this is unpayable debt. <laughs> but what does the Lord say? Uh, it says the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt, an unpayable debt, just wiped clean off the slate. Then is kind of when the plot twist comes, because as soon as that servant is freed of this unpayable debt, this huge burden, he goes around to one of his fellow servants in verse 28, uh, which owed him a hundred pence. So a minuscule amount compared to what he had owed. And he had laid hands on him and took him by the throat saying, pay me what thou owest. And then in verse uh, 29, the fellow servant did the same thing that he had done. He fell down and says, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. But he would not and went and cast him into prison until he should pay the debt. When the king heard about this, he wasn't very happy, of course. And so in verse 32, it says that the Lord after that he had called him said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest thou not also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And so the Lord was wroth and he sent him off to his original punishment for the debt. And then Jesus says that your father does also unto you. If ye in your hearts forgive not every one of his brother their trespasses. And that's the end of the parable with the final statement that we should forgive everyone. And if you don't forgive everyone, uh, what happened to the unforgiving servant will happen to you. That sounds Mike. brutal. <laughs> <laughs> I just I think Jesus is arguing very expansive opposites here. This one's so huge and then so little. And I think that the Lord of that servant showed mercy. One of the reasons is because he wanted to help that servant have a change of heart. Forgiveness is such a personal thing, I think. My wife and I decided a long time ago when we got married that we were going to forgive each other. We got to the point where, especially as we had our kids getting older, that we just would say, uh, I, I for, you know, please forgive me. Mm -hmm. And they would say, I forgive you. And we tried to set the example to our kids doing that. And it is so fun to see your adult children say, please forgive me and they forgive each other. And we, actually one of the things that we talked about when we were younger is that we got really good at forgiving. We're, for, we're hurting each other regularly just because you do in a family, mm -hmm. step on someone's toes or be inconsiderate of them. And then it was just natural because we're like, we don't like this feeling, let's get, let's get past it. And letting the Savior take that burden every single day is a really powerful part of a daily repentance practice. You know, as we look at uh, this parable and as we look at the Savior's response to, to Peter's question, what are the boundaries that the Savior is trying to, to give us, if any, when it comes to forgiveness? Well, that's a great question because the Savior does give some advice in this very chapter right before the parable of the unforgiving servant. There's a discussion on what to do when someone hurts or offends you. When someone in the assembly of believers comes and hurts you, what are you supposed to do? He says, if a brother trespasses against you in verse 15, go tell him his fault between 
him and thee. So go try to settle it privately. Don't bring excess shame. Don't bring excess um, publicity to this if it doesn't have to, because you still don't know if it's a misunderstanding or something. And so go try to settle it privately. But if that doesn't work, then get two or three witnesses and see if you can kind of mediate and figure this out. And if that doesn't work, then bring it before the assembly or community of believers and try to hash it out. And if that doesn't work, then at that point, we need to sever some relationships. We need to cut them off from the community of believers, things like that. And so clearly there's a little tension there between always forgive no matter what. And if harm is being perpetuated over and over, here are some things we can do to protect those we love, to protect ourselves. Um, but I do think ultimately at the end of the day, our personal moral responsibility is to do our internal spiritual work to forgive people no matter what. But that doesn't always mean we have to allow them to continue to mm -hmm. harm us. Mike, as stated in our second topic, how is forgiveness a demonstration of love? It's really one of the most Christ-like things, I think. Christ is on the cross. People are putting nails through his hands and putting him up there. And yet he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And so I think the heart of that idea of forgiveness is understanding the value and the eternal value of this particular individual and seeing that their potential to become something is way more important than the hurt to our particular feelings at this time. And then Jasmine, how have you seen relationships in your life strengthened through forgiveness? Well, like Mike was saying, marriages can be strengthened very well through forgiveness. Learning how to daily forgive, daily repent, daily say, I'm sorry for this or that, and opening up those lines of communication is what builds this healthy level of mutual toleration where we can build stronger relationships. And so I feel like my marriage has been strengthened as I've learned how to say I'm sorry, admit when I was wrong. And so we can come together and practice forgiveness and practice uh, repentance with each other. And that's blessed my life in numerous ways with other people outside of my marriage. Are there any other examples of this uh, through any of the other scriptures that in, at least in some way suggest this principle of, of forgiveness? Well, in Genesis chapter 50, uh, Genesis 45 through 50, we've got the story of Joseph of Egypt. And that's one of the quintessential examples of forgiveness. Mm -hmm. That's just so powerful because that was a big thing done to Joseph of Egypt. He was sold into slavery by his brothers and they originally wanted to kill him. So this was plan B. And yet after all that, Joseph could see God's hand working in his life. He could see why this path was set for him and why his brothers came to Egypt at the moment they did. And he was able to maybe see their intent a little bit more. He was maybe able to see how they've changed. And so that example for me is always a powerful one of, wow, Joseph didn't uh, take revenge. He wasn't vindictive. Instead, as soon as the moment was right, he opened up and said, I am your brother, Joseph. And he falls on their necks and they kiss and they weep. And it's just mm -hmm. this beautiful family reunion. And so for me, that's one of my favorite examples of seeing forgiveness in action when something really hard was done to you, but you still let the grace of forgiveness enter your life. Mike, final thoughts about anything we've discussed so far about forgiveness. Forgiveness, I learned many years ago. Uh, I, I, come, I came from a home where my parents had split up when I was eight. I had kind of uh, developed over the years some bitterness towards my father. And I remember one day specifically driving in the car with my wife and I was describing something that was happening with my parents and I don't even remember the context of it. But I remember the words that came out of my mouth. It was, where is the justice here? And at that moment I had 
a such a powerful spirit come into my mind and in my heart and heard the words, the Savior paid the price for justice. Let that be enough for you. And there was a weight taken off me. I didn't have to get justice for anybody. The Savior took it. Thanks for sharing that with us, Mike. There's a beautiful quote by Elder Uchtdorf that speaks to, uh, to what you were saying. He says, brothers and sisters, there is enough heartache and sorrow in this life without our adding to it through our own stubbornness, bitterness, and resentment. We are not perfect. The people around us are not perfect. Nevertheless, we must let go of our grievances. Remember, heaven is filled with those who have this in common. They are forgiven and they forgive. Thank you both for sharing your thoughts and insights with us on our second topic about showing love through forgiveness. And for our audience, you've been wonderful today. Thanks for being here and for sharing uh, your thoughts as well. And for those at home, we still have so much to cover in footnotes. Please stay with us. One thing I really liked from this episode was when they talked about loving ourselves and how even though we can all make many mistakes, as we focus on loving ourselves, we're able to better focus on, on loving God, loving others, and finding happiness. I love how they were talking about everyone is different, but you still have more in common than you think you do. And that's how you can get to know one another and treat them with love. What I loved about being here for this episode was hearing the panel um, explain and expound upon the scriptures and teaching us more and going into depth and then also turning it to personal application. I love that they were able to, to take these scriptures and, and help us understand how we can use them and apply them to our lives. And I love that about today. Welcome to Come Follow Up Footnotes. We've dismissed our studio audience and are looking forward to building upon our previous discussions from Matthew 18 and Luke 10 with Jasmine and Mike. All right, well, thank you both for your comments and insights on our previous discussion. I wanna jump back in. And Mike, do you mind if we start with uh, Mary and Martha? Sure, I'm happy to talk about that. I've read Mary and Martha many times and taught it many times over the years. But this time through, I kind of saw something really interesting. And maybe it's just because I'm changing, that the story changed me a little bit. But I noticed Martha's words to Jesus. So if we go to Luke 10, uh, verses 38 through 40, 38 says, Martha received him into her house. She had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about with much serving and came to him, to Jesus, and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Which I think is a really fascinating question because she's questioning Jesus's care about what's happening around her. And she says, bid her therefore that she help me. I think it's fascinating that she has this little manual of how she wants Mary to act. That's true. <laughs> Mary ought to be in the kitchen. Jesus, you know she ought to be out there, so will you make her do it? Yeah. And she loves the word should. She should be helping me. Yeah. And don't you care? And I think that's an interesting thing because we know Jesus cares about every single mm -hmm. one of us, but we want him sometimes to buy into the things that we think are the most important. We think her helping is most important. That's what Martha thinks. And so she's trying to get Jesus to buy in to her criticism of her sister 
and then do what she wants her to do. And Jesus is not having any of it. He says, oh, Martha, Martha, you're troubled and careful about many things. And we sometimes think, oh, she's, she's troubled about the dishes and she wants more help. But I think this may be a, a, an ask of her, you're careful a lot about what Mary's doing. Right. That's not your job to criticize what she's doing. And, and that's a pattern that's very easy as a, a human to fall into, that we want Jesus to have somebody else act a different way so we can feel better about yeah. it. And Jesus is like, no, that's not how I work. To me, it almost seems like Jesus Christ is inviting Martha out of the role that was expected of her by society, that she is supposed to be doing the dishes and caring for the house and being this, uh, this host and trying to be hospitable. But instead, Jesus turns around and kind of gives the message that rely on the Lord, that I will provide for you. I am the one who will provide your hospitality and is inviting her almost symbolically to step out of her expected role in society and become a disciple of Jesus Christ, which as we know is what Mary was also trying to do. And so I love your emphasis on the savior working with both of them, Mary and Martha on that, their relationship and that both of them were important for becoming disciples. And looking with compassion on both of them. Yeah, this isn't an either or. Yeah, I don't think he was condemning Martha at all. He was not condemning her. He was just trying to help her maybe see things and Mary see things that, you know what, I'm most important here. Your relationship with me is the most important. You know, there's a time and place for everything and and live live in the moment. I'm here, I'm teaching, it's okay. You know, the dishes can wait. I'm curious about the parable of the unforgiving uh, servant, this transition between verses 27 and 28 of Matthew chapter 18. So verse 27, then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. But the same servant went out, found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat saying, pay me that thou owest. What happened? Like, how do you go from being forgiven of this insurmountable debt to all of a sudden you just turn around and you, you so quickly, why did he forget so quickly what, what just happened to him as he then, you know, behaved in this horrible manner to his servant? I mean, it's human nature. I mean, we do this every single day because, you know, the point of the parable is that Jesus Christ is like the king and he's forgiven us the unpayable debt. And yet we always fall short of forgiving others. And all of us are guilty of being a little hypocritical in one way or another. But the idea is if we really do get it, if we really feel the mercy, it should be easier to remember to spread it to others. And I think maybe that was the unforgiving servant's uh, problem is he didn't really get the point. He didn't really grasp what was going on so that he took it for granted. And I think you're right. It's That's a very easy thing to do as a human being. The Lord said he gave us this infinite capacity to love. And sometimes experiences and life dis- difficulties and the different things that I experience, it's hard to have a soft heart. And sometimes the Lord will break it with some stern words. And sometimes we'll see an act of compassion, which I think the Lord was hoping by being so compassionate to this servant, that he would say, oh, wow, and yeah. open up and allow the, the love that was in him to flow out. So I, I'm, I, I try to be merciful with this servant yeah. and say, <laughs> I think he probably got it eventually. Yeah. And sometimes it takes you and I dozens and dozens of times before the Lord really gets us to open our hearts, soften our heart, break our hearts in such a way that that divine love that's already in us can flow more freely. I'm just grateful that the Lord is 
always willing to forgive my debt every single time I fall short mm -hmm. and withhold forgiveness to others. Going back to this uh, this parable in Matthew chapter 18, there's one aspect I would love to, to discuss for a minute. Uh, the point of view from the servant when he initially falls down in verse 26, the servant therefore fell down and worshiped him saying, Lord, have patience with me and I will pay thee all. There's a moment here where I often ask myself, how eager am I to fall down and worship and plead for forgiveness? Do we have that same humility as it says in verse four, whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child? Do I have that humility to ask forgiveness when I offend somebody? There's a lot of power in being able to admit when you're wrong and yeah. to apologize. And that can build relationships because it provides the opportunity for daily forgiveness, daily repentance. And going through that process yourself of humbling yourself is incredibly important. And we see the themes of being as a child all throughout this chapter. Mm -hmm. We start with being as a child. We end with, do you have the humility to be as a child and ask for that forgiveness? But we also see it in the parable of the lost sheep that follows right after Jesus talking about being as a little child. He talks about how these are the little ones. And then he goes to a discussion on what to do with the little ones, how to treat the little ones and how we need to protect the little ones. And he really expounds on it in the parable of the lost sheep. Can we read some of those verses? And Let's can, do it. Can yeah. Paint that so picture a little bit. We're going to be in Matthew 18, verse 12. How think ye, if a man have a hundred sheep and one of them gone astray, doth he not leave the ninety and nine and goeth into the mountains and seek that which is gone astray? And if you find it, verily I say unto you, he rejoiceth more of that sheep than of the ninety and nine, which went not astray. Even so, it is not the will of your father, which is in heaven, that one of these little ones should perish. And I love the way that it's framed in Matthew 18, because in this version of the parable, it's talking about little ones. In the other versions where this parable shows up, it's kind of more generically about if a sinner goes astray, we want to make sure we bring him back to the fold. And that's a really important way to interpret this parable. But I love in Matthew, there's a framing of if a little one goes astray, maybe we're talking mm. about children. Maybe we're talking about people who are young or inexperienced in the faith or yeah. who are new to the faith. These are people that deserve and need protecting, nurturing, gathering. And if you have a congregation or a group of people who are more experienced, it's okay to let them be self-sufficient while we minister to the people who maybe need it the most. I think of Alma the Younger. What does he plead out? Oh, Jesus, thou son of God, have mercy on me. I'm in the gall of bitterness. And he says, immediately the pain was gone. Immediately I was encircled about in his love and his light. There's a little one who cries out and immediately the Lord is there. And what does that say about how we should treat other little ones? If they cry out, yeah. immediately. Immediately. We, cool. we want to qualify it though. Oh yeah. Well, if they do this, then I will do it. And the Lord's like, no, it's immediate. That's who he is. And he invites us into that fellowship of love with him. Mosiah 319 is about becoming as a little child, submissive, meek, humble, patient, full of love, willing to submit to all that the Lord seeth to inflict upon them, even as a child does submit to his father. And that idea of the submissiveness of Jesus Christ, Savior is teaching them that that's an attribute that is critical if you want to become like me. The Savior was the perfect submission to his father. He's powerful. Doctrine and Covenants 19, he talks about how 
I have retained all power because I'm connected with the Father. And I think that's a powerful thing is that it doesn't mean that we give up our individuality to be submissive to the Father. It means that we gain power by teaming up with Him. Yeah, and one attribute of children in the ancient world is that they didn't really have much status. But I mean, it's similar <laughs> today. I mean, when you're a child, you are the youngest, you're the least experienced, you're the least knowledgeable, you're the least educated, the least financially supportive of any sort of system. And so you have a lesser status in a family, in a society or whatever. And Jesus totally flips that on its head and says, you need to be like this. And he does that all th throughout the scriptures and throughout his ministry where he eats with the publicans and the sinners. And he says to become like a child. And so he's always trying to flip things on its head and make you rethink and wonder, okay, where, where do I need to be centered? And I think one of the major attributes of children is that humility since the opposite of humility is pride. And we know that pride is one of those triggers or catalysts that causes all sorts of chaos in the scriptures, especially in the Book of Mormon. Pride is what prevents us from being able to give and accept forgiveness, which is what we talked about earlier in this episode, talking about how forgiveness allows us to access the love of Christ in new ways. And so if we're prideful, that's going to be a barrier. Whereas if we are humble as a child, we can accept forgiveness, we can offer forgiveness, and we can come closer to our Savior. I think the Savior in a couple of different places teaches this. He teaches becoming the children of our Father in heaven, which I think goes along with Matthew 18. One of them is Matthew 5, where he talks about be therefore perfect. That's kind of a thing we take and separate it. But if you look at the context of that, he's talking about loving our enemies. And he says, love your enemies. And he says, that you may be the children of your Father, which is in heaven. For he makes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. And then he says a similar thing in Luke chapter 6, which fascinates me when you look at this. It's the same story. But he says in Luke 6, verse 35, But love your enemies and do good and lend, hoping for nothing again, and your reward shall be great. And you shall be the children of the highest. For he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Be therefore merciful as your father also is merciful. So this idea of being the children of heavenly parents is about becoming like them, about being loving in the kind of way and merciful in the kind of way that they are. And I think the, the Samaritan, saying, the Samaritans figured it out. Yeah. The Samaritan figured out how to love the way that we love, which is taking an enemy and a Jew who might have said an unkind word to him on the street and not letting that stop him from giving him the service and the love that he deserved. And you know, the Matthew version of that story is very similar to in the Sermon on the Mount where he says, love your enemies, uh, love them that persecute you, but if you wanna be better, love your enemies, therefore be ye perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. So I think it's right on the same vein of, Part of this being perfect is showing that mercy, showing that love to those that you may not want to show love to. Have you ever been surprised by the actions or behaviors of somebody that kind of went against maybe your stereotype or your preconceptions of who or what they are? I think I'm constantly surprised by people, by the goodness of people. Mm -hmm. I, I think I'm amazed at how many people have done a fundraiser for a good cause or a, a GoFundMe because this person lost their house. 
I think because we are the children of our Heavenly Father, who's the most generous being in the universe, He, that's in us. It's our spiritual DNA to have that kind of generosity. And I think more than anything, it's just letting go of those preconceived notions and our eyes will be opened and see how things really are. As a human, it's hard to do that sometimes, Mm -hmm. definitely. But I think that's part of that tutoring we talked about where the Savior says, I want to help you with this. I want to help you let go of those stereotypes. Because I I think this story about the Good Samaritan is a story about Jesus. And I I love the words in, uh, in this story of Luke chapter 10 where he says, verse 33, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. There wasn't a delay. There was no, well, should I help him? Should I not? It was a reflex for him to reach out with compassion. I think the Savior is that same way. He, just, he doesn't have to consider, well, should I help this person? And then these words, here's the Savior. He went to him and bound up his wounds pouring in oil and wine and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto him, take care of him and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. He has an infinite ability to heal, to forgive and to pay any price that needs to be paid. Yeah, and uh, this interpretation of Christ being the Good Samaritan goes back thousands of years, even as early as early church fathers, such as Clement of Alexandria, Irenaeus, Origen, they saw these parallels between Jesus Christ and the Good Samaritan. And they would point out things like Adam being like this person and Jesus going down, descending to help the person. In verse 34, when he's binding up the wounds, pouring in oil and wine, they saw this as symbolism of oil uh, being a implement of anointing and Christ being the anointed one and using wine to heal because symbolically, you know, it's representing that blood of Christ. All of it is really beautiful. And there's a lot here to just ponder and contemplate how the Savior is in our lives in the same way that the Samaritan is. You know, Mike, you've given so much of your your, your life and your, your work to helping uh, individuals who struggle in their faith. Where did this all start and what is the driving force behind your desire to help them? I think it started with me. I went as a missionary, thought I had pretty much everything figured out. I think maybe some of us can relate to that. Well, you were 19, so of course you did. Of course I did. (laughs) I was the superstar. I knew all the answers. I was there. And the Lord said, why don't you go to South Dakota on a mission? (laughs) And I had experiences there that showed me that I was not maybe as great as I thought I was, Mm -hmm. which was a hard thing to learn a little bit. But it wasn't without tenderness. There was a time near the end of my mission where I experienced a breaking of my heart in a prayer that I offered with my mission president. And he had asked me some questions that kind of the spirit was that little crowbar in there that the Lord needed. And my heart broke and I was overwhelmed with that love. That prepared me for the rest of my life, for helping people to look at a a teenager who maybe is not very cooperative and to be able to see love in them because I was that uncooperative teenager sometimes as a missionary. I thought I was Nephi and I never really experienced feeling like Laman and Lemuel. (laughs) But because of some of those difficult experiences as a missionary, 
my heart was went out to those that were struggling a lot more. And then, of course, having children and loving them instantly, but seeing them. And I remember a time my son was 15, and I think probably a dozen times that year, my wife said to me, Mike, he's 15. <laughs> and I'd be like, I know, but did you know what he did? <laughs> Mike, he's 15. He's 15. And so those words just kept coming back yeah. to me to see that, okay, he's going to figure it out. Now he's 25, and I'm super proud of the kid. And so that has motivated me to want to be as helpful as I can to people, to give them as much mercy and grace and compassion as I possibly can. Not because I'm so good at it, because I felt his, and he's put that within each one of us, and I felt it flow out of me. One of the main things that we struggle with faith is that we aren't seeing ourselves or God clearly. He, he knows who we are. He sees our worth. He sees our infinite potential and our value. But so often, we struggle to see it in ourselves. And we take the hurts that we've had, and we think, God must be behind that when he's really not. We read these stories, and we think, he's so merciful. But we kind of put this, this almost an angry, vengeful, unkind nature to God sometimes when that's not the case at all. Uh, the, the thing I've noticed more than anything is that God is so big and is willing with us to bear our burdens. And one of the things that I find is most helpful is for people to begin to let go of those judgments of God and to, as they begin to see that God is not the author of it, then they begin to have compassion like God has and they have compassion for church leaders that made mm -hmm. mistakes in the past. Yeah. And most importantly, probably, they begin to have compassion on themselves for the judgments that they've passed on themselves and on other people. This has been a wonderful conversation. Thank you both so much for sharing your thoughts and your insights uh, in this discussion today. And for those at home, thank you for joining us for this discussion from these selections from Matthew and Luke. I encourage you to record and act upon any impressions you've received. For additional study and teaching resources, visit byutv.org slash comefollowup. Next week, we study John chapters 7 through 10 and discuss Jesus Christ as the Good Shepherd. Thank you for watching. Come Follow Up is a production of BYU Broadcasting. Thank you.